Okay, let's pray, and then we will dig into the scriptures together. I am, I'm loving Psalm 119, and Psalm 119 is about how to be bold, this next section, how to be bold in sharing the gospel, which is kind of a surprising thing to notice, but I'll, I'll try to show you why I believe that's what it's about, and then you can see if you agree that that's what this passage is about. So let's pray together, and then we'll dig in. Thank you, Lord, for your great love for us in Christ again. Amazing grace that every stain has been washed clean. And through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are blameless before you. And our future is secure. And we will be full of joy in you forever because of what Christ has done. So Lord, thank you. And I pray that as we open up your word now, you, by your Holy Spirit, would speak to us. Lord, evangelism's kind of a I mean, we can just feel guilty about that topic and feel like, uh, you know, just immediately the things, the opportunities we've let go, and I, I've let some go lately too. And, but Lord, would you meet us now? And would you encourage us now and give us trust in you for what you promised to do in this area in our lives? This is not about us trying hard. This is about your work in our hearts that we can access by faith. And so, Lord, I pray that this would be a very encouraging time. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're not going to start in Psalm 119, though, this morning. We're going to start in the book of Acts, chapter 16. So go ahead and turn there. And if you need a Bible, we'd like to bring one to you to look on so that you can study the scriptures with us this morning. So turn... Raise your hand if you need a Bible, we'll bring one to you, and then let's all turn to Acts chapter 16, and in the Bibles we're passing out, that's on page 925. Now for the last six months, uh, here at Mercy Hill Church, Jerry and I and the home group leaders have been praying and fasting and seeking the Lord about a very important question to us. And the question is, why are we not seeing more people brought to faith in Christ? Through our home groups, through our church here, why are we not seeing more people brought to faith? We have lots of strengths here at Mercy Hill Church. I am so thankful for what God has been and is doing. We are strong in the Word of God. We love the Scriptures. We're strong or growing in in living by faith in Jesus Christ, trusting His promises and experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. I love hearing stories about how we're loving each other, serving each other, bearing each other's burdens in our home groups, displaying Jesus Christ as our treasure by the way we sacrificially care for each other. It's beautiful. Lots of strengths here at Mercy Hill Church. But over the past few years, we have not seen many people brought to faith in Christ. And yet, the book of Acts tells us that we should expect lots of people to be brought to faith in Christ. And I want to show you one verse in particular. It's Acts chapter 16, verse 5. Look at what Luke tells us. This is about 10 years, roughly, after Pentecost. Okay, 10 years after Pentecost. And look at what he says, not about one church, but about the churches. So about 10 years after Pentecost, here's his description of the churches. Acts 16, 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Now, the reason they increased in numbers was because they were seeing people brought to faith in Christ. 
We're not interested in numbers just for the sake of numbers. I mean, we're, we're glad when people who already know the Lord come here, but that's not our main focus. Our main passion is people who do not know Christ, seeing them saved, because they are facing an eternity of being punished in hell. And so we long to see them come to faith in Christ. That's why every day they were increasing in numbers by people coming to faith in Christ. And the early church, obviously these churches, this is 10 years after Pentecost, every day they were seeing people brought to faith, which Luke intends for this to raise our expectation level. Do it here, Lord. Bring it about. Have Act 16.5 happen here. And that's why we've been fasting and praying as leaders, asking the Lord, why are we not seeing that happening more here in our midst? And as we've been praying... We've sensed two answers from the Lord. One is, um, keep persevering. Be patient. Keep sowing the seed. Keep praying. Don't lose heart in doing good. Keep going. So that's one answer we've been receiving from the Lord. But a second answer is that, that many of us need more boldness. We let fear and intimidation and timidity make us not center our lives on making disciples. We'd rather center our lives on something else. But as I hope to show you, Jesus has called us to center our lives on going out and making disciples. Not the only thing we do, but that's why we're here, not in heaven yet. That's, that's our purpose. That's why we're here. And so we need more boldness. I need more boldness. Okay, I had an opportunity this week that I, I in retrospect, I could have been more... Uh, aware of what, what of an opportunity the Lord created where I could have mentioned truth about who he was, and I didn't. Uh, and you have had opportunities like that recently, too, where we were not bold enough, we were fearful, we were timid, we just weren't there. And So the question is, where do we get boldness? You might think, okay, just church, get bold. Be bold. Uh, but that's not very helpful way to describe it. It's not really what the scriptures teach. And I want to show you what the scriptures teach about this in this passage this morning, Psalm 119, 41 to 48. So go ahead and turn there. So from Acts back to Psalm 119, and that's page 513 in the Bibles we passed out. I was surprised as I studied these eight verses. My conclusion was that these verses are talking about evangelism. And again, as I said earlier, when, when you hear the word evangelism, your heart can sink, the guilt can rise. It's like, oh no, this is a bad thing. I'm just asking that the Lord would just kind of wash that away from us and that we could just let the Father talk to us this morning about evangelism. He loves us. One of my favorite promises is, remember Jesus said to the disciples when he called them, follow me and I will do what? I will make you become fishers of men. So our part is to do what? We follow, and then what is his part? If we follow him, he will make us become fishers of men. Every disciple will become a fisher of men and women, which is, means we help people come to know Jesus. We, we catch them like fish in this beautiful net, all, this, all the fish getting saved. So he does that work. We follow him and do what he calls us to do, and he will make you become a fisher of men. He will enable that. He will have that happen. He will empower you for that. And that's what this passage is about. So I was reading this passage about evangelism, and I noticed that it's about evangelism. And I thought, really? And so I, I like to check my conclusions with other other guys. And sure enough, 
my two favorites in Psalm 119, Charles Spurgeon and Charles Bridges, both, I'm agreeing with them, okay? Okay, so they, they saw that this is about evangelism too. So let me read through these eight verses, and I want to show you three, area, three places here where evangelism is clearly what's being talked about. So starting in verse 41, Psalm 119, verse 41. The author says, Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me. That's evangelism. I'm going to try to show you in a moment. Why? For I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. That's the word of of witness, of testimony, of, of the gospel. Take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. There's evangelism. For my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually, forever and ever. And I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings. And shall not be put to shame. There's bold evangelism. See that? For I delight, or for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. So it's those three reasons why Charles Spurgeon, Charles Bridges, and many of their commentaries see evangelism as being the topic in these eight verses. But he doesn't start with evangelism. He starts somewhere else. We want to start where he starts. So look at where he starts in verse 41. Look at what he says. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Okay, so what is he asking here? What does it mean to have God's steadfast love, God's salvation come to you? What does that mean? Now you could think... That salvation here is referring to when you're first saved, that it means having your sins be forgiven, being born again, being assured of salvation. You could think that's what it means, except it's clear from this psalm that in the previous 40 verses, he's already been saved, right? He's been born again. It's clear as we read verses 1 through 40 that he's been saved. So he, he's not asking for, sal- for his own salvation, forgiveness of sins, Being born again, that's not the topic in verse 41. So what is he asking for? What's he saying here? And what helped me was to read verse 41 with verse 42. Read those two together. He says, Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then, as a result of steadfast love coming to me, as a result of your salvation coming to me, then... Shall I have an answer for him who taunts me? For, here's why I'll have an answer then, for I trust in your word. So when God's steadfast love and salvation comes to him, he knows he's going to be strengthened in his faith, right? He's going to be trusting more in God's word, and then as a result of that strengthened faith, he will have an answer for this person who doesn't know the Lord, who's been taunting him. He'll have a bold gospel answer for him. So when God's steadfast love comes, when his salvation comes, faith rises, and boldness is one of the fruits of that. That's what's going on in these passages. So my conclusion is that God's steadfast love and salvation coming, when he's asking Let your steadfast love come to me. Let your salvation come to me. He's asking for, to use New Testament language, 
a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in his heart. That's what he's asking for. You might be a little skeptical. Really? So I was a little skeptical too. So I, I asked Charles Spurgeon and I asked Charles Bridges again. And yes, both of them. In fact, here's what Charles Bridges says. Uh, we'll get the quote up here on the, on, the, on the screen. This is from his commentary on Psalm 119. Here's what he says about verse 41. He says, Many, indeed, are satisfied with far too low a standard of spiritual enjoyments. It is comfortless to live at a distance from our Father's house when we might be dwelling in the secret of his presence and rejoicing in the smiles of his love. This blessing of dwelling in God's house is unspeakable. Let your steadfast love, your salvation, come to me, O Lord. So that's his understanding of what's going on here. In other words, what the author is doing when he says, let your steadfast love come, let your salvation come, he's asking for God to pour out a fresh outpouring of his Holy Spirit. And just a little bit of, of, of background. When you first put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you turn away from whatever else you were trusting to secure you and to satisfy you, and you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and as your Lord, and as your all-satisfying treasure, at that moment, God pours His Holy Spirit out upon you, and for the first time, you taste, and you see the Lord's goodness for the first time, you know God, you experience His love through Christ, for the first time, your heart is filled with the joy you were created to know in God. But it doesn't stop there. You experience it for the first time there, but it doesn't stop there. And so throughout your Christian life, you're praying like Psalm 119.41, let your steadfast love come to me. Let your salvation come more. Give me more of an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon us again and again and again through our Christian life, what the Holy Spirit does is he makes real in your heart the truths of the Scripture. When the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you, God's holiness becomes real to you. God's glory becomes real to you. God's forgiveness, assurance of salvation becomes real to you. God's promises of caring for you become real to you. His strength becomes real. Heaven and hell becomes real to you when God pours his Holy Spirit out upon you. So what the author is asking for here is a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Pour your steadfast love into my heart. Pour your salvation upon me in greater measure. Make your reality, your glory, your holiness, your mercy, your beauty real to me. Make eternity real to me. Make heaven and hell real to me. That's what he's asking God to do. Now why? Why is he asking God to do that? Why does he ask God for this outpouring of the Spirit? And again, read verses 41 and 42 together to see why. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise, then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me. For, here's why I have the answer, I trust in your word. Someone's taunting him. Okay, Someone who doesn't believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob is taunting him. Taunt, taunt, taunt. And he doesn't have an answer. Now, I don't think it's because he doesn't know the answer. 
It's clear from these first 40 verses of Psalm 119 that the author is an assiduous studier of God's word. He meditates on God's word. He loves God's word. He reads God's word. He knows God's word. I don't think the problem is that he doesn't know the answer. I think the problem is that the taunts have weakened his faith. The taunts have intimidated him. The taunts have filled him with fear. The taunts have taken away his boldness. That's the problem. So how can he become more bold? How can he have a a bold gospel word, bold gospel answer in his mouth so that he can speak to this person who's taunting him and speak of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of his mighty works in delivering Israel from Egypt, of his mighty faithfulness to, to David and what he's done with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the patriarchs. Speak a bold gospel word. Where is that boldness going to come from? It's going to come from a fresh outpouring of the Spirit, Right? Let your steadfast love come to me, your salvation according to your word. Strengthen my faith. Make your truth, your glory, your promises real. Help me to experience the truth of who you are because then faith will rise and I will then have a bold gospel answer in my mouth for that man who who taunts me. That's why he's asking God for this outpouring of the Spirit. So that helped me understand verses 41 and 42. But verse 43 was really puzzling to me. He says, And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. It's a strange thing to ask God. Lord, don't take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. What's he asking? Why would we ask God not to take the word of truth out of our mouths? Have any of you ever asked God that prayer? Probably not too many of us. But we should when we understand what he's asking. So what's he asking here? Uh, Let me try to explain it this way. He's just prayed, let your steadfast love and your salvation come to me. That will strengthen my faith so I have an answer for this taunter. In other words, as you pour your spirit out upon me, you will give me bold gospel words, answers. You'll you'll put bold gospel words in my mouth. That's what will happen when he pours his spirit out upon you. You'll you'll have bold gospel words to to answer to to the taunter. And so then in verse 43, he asks, don't take your word utterly out of my mouth which means don't stop these outpourings of the Spirit. Verse 41, pour your Spirit out upon me so my faith will rise and I'll have words given to you in my mouth to speak. Then in 43, he just he asks it in a negative way. Don't stop that. Don't stop your outpourings, which would take the words out of my mouth so I would be, again, fearful, intimidated, lacking boldness, and not have a bold gospel witness for someone. So verse 43 is just another way of praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which brings boldness. Verse 41, pour out your spirit. Verse 42, I'll have boldness. Verse 43, don't stop the outpouring or I'll have no boldness and your words will be out of my mouth. Now, I want you to understand something really important here at church, and that is that God usually does not pour his spirit out upon us unless we ask him, unless we seek. If we don't ask and seek him, then God will not pour his spirit out upon us our faith will remain weak and we will not have a gospel bold answer for people 
around us, and God's word won't be in our mouths. So God wants us to ask, pour out your spirit upon me. Let your steadfast love come. Let your salvation come to me according to the promises of your word. That's why the Holy Spirit had the author write these words right here in verse 41, 42, and 43, because he wants us to be praying through psalms like this one. So he wants us to be praying, let your steadfast love come. Don't Stop those outpourings so that I have no word in my in my mouth. So you've taken the word utterly out of my mouth. That's why Jesus, remember Luke eleven thirteen. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will my Father give? And this time when Jesus taught it, he said, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. To whom? To those who ask him. God will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And so God wants us to be asking, asking. This is what the early church did. I was just reading, and just write this down. At the end of Acts chapter 4, the church says, um, give us boldness to speak your word and stretch out your hand to heal the sick. And then what happens next? God poured boldness out upon them. They asked for boldness. God poured boldness out upon them. And so seek the outpouring of the Spirit. Don't be content with where you are. Seek a fresh outpouring of God's love. And he does that as we pray, and he does that through the word. It's through the truth of his word that the Holy Spirit makes the truths of God's word real to us. So we see, yes, and then we will have our faith rise, and then we will speak. So that's what the author is praying for in verses 41, 42, and 43. Something interesting happens starting in verse 44. Uh, the tenses of the of the verbs change in, in the Hebrew, and these all show now results that are that are happening. So there's four results that will come from this outpouring and resulting boldness. But let me just pause here to make sure you're, you're getting the good news of this. If you have thought that your boldness is something that you are supposed to just you know stir up in yourself, grit your teeth, make it happen, just be bold, and you've tried that and tried that and tried that, and failed and failed and failed, I've got wonderful news for you. That's not where boldness comes from. This is where boldness comes from. Lord, pour out your spirit upon me. Meet me. Pour a fresh outpouring of your love so it's not just that I know that you are loving, but you are loving Because when we have that first-hand experience of God's love through Christ, when we experience him in that way, then we are bold, just like what happened to Dave recently. We're bold to speak to people. And so don't let this issue of boldness be, okay, I need to be more bold. Yes, we need to be more bold. But how do you be more bold? Verse 41, let your steadfast love and your salvation come to me. Church, I, I promise you, based on the authority of God's word, Luke eleven thirteen, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more? More. More and more and more. Jesus said this. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If we will ask more, he will pour out more. And boldness will rise more. You might think, yikes, I might really be that bold. You will love it. You will love it, and you will love it, and you will be more bold. 
But now I want to show you four results that come from this outpouring and resulting boldness. Verses 44 to 48. First, we will keep God's law. Verse 44, I will keep your law continually forever and ever. That's a result of what he's just described in the first verses. I will keep your law continually forever and ever. Why does he say that? It's because God's law called all of Israel, all the Old Testament saints, to tell everybody about God's forgiving mercy. It's God's law. Turn to Psalm 96, verse 3. This is page 499 in the Bibles we passed out today. I want you to see how God's law called the Old Testament saints to tell everybody about God's saving and forgiving mercy. Psalm 96, verse 3. This would be a great verse to memorize, by the way. Here's what the psalmist says. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. See that? Declare Israel, declare God's glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. So outside of Israel, get outside of Israel here and move out and tell all the nations about who God is. Now, Israel failed in this for the most part terribly. Right? Jonah is a perfect example of how they responded when they heard this. It's like, I'm going the other way, thank you. Okay, so Israel did not do very well, but the author of Psalm 119 did because he asked for boldness and God gave it to him and he knew that as a result and he would keep God's law because God's word in the Old Testament commanded Israel, go tell everybody. Okay, And that required boldness. And the author knew he didn't have boldness. And so he asked God, let your salvation come. Let your steadfast love come. My faith will rise. Boldness will come. And I will tell people about who you are, God. And I will be faithful to keep your law. That's what he says. And the same will be true of us. Let's bring this up in a New Testament time period now. When God saves you, pours out his spirit upon you, and you, you know that through faith in Christ, your future is secured and you will be satisfied forever in knowing him. So you are you have fullness of joy forever in Jesus Christ. When you know that, one of the results in your heart is that when you see someone who is suffering, especially somebody who faces eternal suffering, you will have compassion for them. Every born-again believer is, is wired now by that new rewiring that happens through salvation. You are wired now that when you think of someone who not only doesn't have God now, not only has no hope now, but will suffer eternal suffering, you're broken, you're compassionate for them. And that's why Jesus says in the Great Commission, uh, go into all the world and make disciples of all the peoples. Because we are wired to feel this compassion. He says, move on that compassion and center your life on the task of making disciples. Center your life on that point. Go and make disciples of all the people. So, Old Testament, Psalm 96, 3, declare his glory among the nations. New Testament, Matthew 28, 18-20, go and make disciples of all the peoples. Same command, Old Testament, New Testament. And so as we do this, and ask God to pour his spirit out upon us and seek more of the spirit's work as we pray and as we meditate on scripture and as he answers, which he will, 
and our faith rises because he's pouring out a spirit upon us and our boldness rises, then we will move out and start making disciples, loving people, caring for people, sharing the gospel with people, and he will work through our words. He will make us become fishers of men, and we will keep God's word. We will be obedient to God's word. That's the first result. We will keep God's law, God's commands, what he's called us to do. Second result, we will walk in a wide place of God's presence. Verse 45, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. What is this wide place we'll walk in? It's not easy to figure out. The, the Hebrew word means wide place, okay? Translators nailed it. Perfect. Okay, so what does it mean? Uh, commentators, uh, Charles Bridges, and I think Spurgeon also, um, that it's, it's the wide place of experiencing God's presence, of knowing his favor in your life. Um, I, I, it, it doesn't mean that you're free from all trials, because notice this taunter is still taunting. Right? Walking in a wide place doesn't mean no one will be taunting anymore, but it means that when there's taunting, there's the outpouring, there's the faith, there's the boldness, there's the answer, and there's God's presence. Remember the very first eight-verse section in this psalm, the, the author tells us that there's two ways we could walk. There's the world's ways, and then there's God's ways. And the reason God's ways are called God's ways, one of them, I think, is because when you walk in God's ways, God's there. That's, that path is where you have the sweetest, richest fellowship with the living God in, in a heart-experienced way when you're walking in God's ways. And so this is saying the exact same thing. When we are obedient to the Lord and centering our lives and making disciples, we're walking in God's ways. And that's the broad place of his presence, walking in God's ways. If we're not centering our lives on making disciples, then we're not on this path. God's on this path. We're like on this path. And there will be much less, like what Bridges was saying earlier in his comments on verse 41 and 42. So we will walk in a wide place of God's presence as we are obeying him, asking for the outpouring. Faith rises as he pours out his spirit. Boldness rises. We center our lives upon making disciples, and we will be walking in that wide place of God's presence. Third, We will speak God's word before kings without shame. Verse 46, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. See how evangelism is like right there? Okay, it's clear, crystal clear. That's evangelism. This is a picture of just how much boldness God can give us. That you would speak God's testimonies before kings. This isn't talking about speaking it before the king of Israel. This is about other kings, okay? Let me just share one little story about how I experienced this, because um, I don't really have much trouble being bold in this kind of a setting, but, but talking to people who don't know the Lord, just like in the workplace or whatever, that's, that's not as easy for me to do, to be honest. And when this church was first getting started, I worked in real estate to pay the bills, and uh, God blessed it. And one Thursday morning, I will never forget, I wasn't sure if you were there, Rick, or not, but, but one, one Thursday morning, uh, there was a panel of, of new agents who they wanted to, to have kind of share their story about, about how it was going well and stuff. And so I was asked to be part of this panel. And so there were maybe 300 agents out there. And, um, and the first question they asked was, uh, how did you get into real estate? Well, the, 
The answer was because God called us to plant a church in San Jose and I needed to pay the bills. I mean, that was, that was the answer. And, and the Lord, I'd been praying that morning. Jan had been praying for me because, you know, I was out in the panel and just like, I wanted to have wisdom. I mean, I wanted to, wanted to share real estate stuff too. That, that was why they really wanted me to be up there. But it's like, it was just like a, like a lob right over home plate, you know, and it was just, it was perfect. And so God gave me boldness just to, I mean, in about two sentences, just to say, you know, Jesus Christ has transformed. I said, this may sound a little strange. Something like this, I, you know. But, but Jesus Christ has transformed my life. And we moved up here to San Jose to start a church so we could help people come to know who he is. And it's just getting started. You know, we didn't really know anybody here. And, um, and so we need to pay the bills. So that's how I'm, how I'm doing real estate. So anyway, so the point is, you will be surprised. I bet you many of you have had experiences where you are surprised at the boldness with which you're talking to somebody. That's what you will find happening. Right? I'm talking to the, you know, my boss, or I'm talking to the, like the really popular person at school, or, you know, the really, you know, a wealthy person or something, you know, and, and here I'm just, I'm just talking to him. See, the Lord will do that for you. That'll be one of the results of this. You will speak God's word even before kings without shame. Verse 46. Okay, fourth result. We will delight in and praise and meditate on God's commandments. Verses 47 and 48 together. For I find my delight in your commandments. That word for is actually not there in the Hebrew. I'm not not sure why it was put in here. Um, So this is another result. I will find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. Delight in praise, lift my hands up towards God's commandments, and meditate on, on God's commandments. Now, here's what I think is going on here. Let's say that you're not centering your life around making disciples. Um, now, if that's the case, then you're going to have a hard time delighting in God's word. And the reason is I've thought about that, because I've been there, is that when you open up God's word, the Holy Spirit comes and starts to minister to what you need. And if, you're, if your life is not centered on, on what God's calling us to do, then, then it's going to be convicting. There's going to be Holy Spirit conviction. right? Anybody know about Holy Spirit conviction? You'll open up God's word, and there will be its loving conviction, its merciful conviction, its gracious conviction, but its conviction. All right? And, 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 and that, ah, ah, you know, okay? But if your life is centered in making disciples, not perfectly, None of us have this down perfectly. I certainly don't by any stretch of the imagination, but Lord, help me, strengthen me, pour out your spirit upon me, give me boldness. Okay, so it's not perfect, but I want to walk in this way. Then when you open up God's word, uh, the Holy Spirit isn't convicting you about that because you're you're on this path over here. And what the Holy Spirit does is he ministers to you. He shows you who Jesus Christ is. He reveals God's glory to you. He shows you God's mercy. He shows you God's love and holiness and patience and power. And so you, you open up the word and you're fellowshipping with God the Father. And you're, you're, you're seeing Jesus displayed in the scriptures. And you're beholding him and loving him. And, and you love God's word. Lift up my hands to your word. I delight in your word. I meditate on your word. Because when I open up, the Holy Spirit's it's not that heavy conviction. It's, it's life. It's joy. It's peace. That's what happens. You will delight in praise, and meditate on God's commandments. So those are four results that come, four outflows that take place when we are asking God for the outpouring of the Spirit 
and he answers, which he will, and our faith will rise, our boldness will rise, and so we will have an answer, a gospel bold words will be, will be given to us, an answer to speak, we'll be bold enough to speak before kings. Now, just one caution, and that is this does not mean that we wait until some amazing boldness comes. Okay, good. I can just, like, I'll pray and just kind of sit. Not happening yet. Okay, not, not happening yet. Uh, no, I'm still a little afraid. I can just, I'll sit here. He hasn't gotten this one. No, no, no. Oftentimes the boldness comes uh, on the road as we're obeying, as we're stepping out. Okay? And boldness also does not mean that you feel no fear. I, I, I doubt I've ever had a time where I felt no fear in sharing the gospel with someone. So boldness does not mean no fear. It, it's, it's a combination of confidence, of assurance, of here we go, of oh God help me. And, and, and that's what you, you take that step. So you don't wait for some overwhelming feeling of boldness to come. We obey and God will answer. You'll see it taking place. Okay. What questions does this raise? And that's, that's both Old Testament and... Because Jesus uh, said, don't cast your pearls before swine, right? So it's Old Testament and New Testament. Let me just throw out some thoughts, and then maybe some others of you uh, can, can share your wisdom as well. Um, I think we should err on the side of, of patience and persistence in talking to people, so that even if they are resistant... We, we should never argue with anybody... We should never argue with somebody who disagrees about the truth of Christianity. That's, there's, there's no benefit in that. So we, we're, we're patient, we're gentle, but we're, we're direct and we're bold. And so I think we should err on the side of pressing in. We, we love this person. We care about this person. We, we, we don't want them to suffer in hell forever. We, we may be sharing with them with tears. But there, there, there would come a point in time where it, it, it's like, this is no longer fruitful. And um, and there's probably no one-size-fits-all. It'll be a sense of wisdom from the Lord and just kind of gauging the situation. Just dial it down, pray, think, ponder, ask questions, right? Dialogue, love, but, but don't let's not argue. We should we should never argue. Uh, arguing just is never helpful. Love them, I think. But yeah, that's good. So that so persistence and patience and perseverance, good. Yes, you know by experience, right? First-hand experience, you know it, and that's powerful. Good, good words. So here, here's my challenge to us. Um, we're talking about evangelism, okay? About making disciples, about the Great Commission. And immediately, for many of us, that's an area of guilt, and we just like the walls go up, and I, just, I don't hear any more about it, you know. So let's let's do this. Let's just throw this out as an ex- not really experiment, but try this, um, and talk about this in, in your home groups. Start asking God to do verse forty-one. Okay, let your steadfast love and your salvation come to me, as you've promised in your word. Just start there, okay? Just start praying for that, Lord. Pour out your Spirit upon me. Show me what you saved me from. Assure me of your love. Pour out your Holy Spirit. Let me see your glory in Christ. Let me see and feel the reality of your holiness and your beauty and your majesty and your love. Let me see and feel the reality of heaven and hell. Lord, make these things more real to me. Just start there. 
ask God to do this for you. Just, just start there, okay? And then watch how verse 42 will happen as a result. So that's my challenge to you. Let's regularly ask the Lord, Lord, pour out your spirit. Let's seek him in prayer. Let's open up the scriptures. Let's seek his face and ask him to do this. He will do it. There's no doubt about it. He will do it. And boldness in evangelism is one of the results that will come. And four weeks from now, 12 weeks from now, a year from now, you will look back and say something like what God had Dave say this morning about how powerfully he's been changed in this area. So let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. So Father, I ask that you would bring your power upon us by the Holy Spirit right now. I'm sure, Lord, there are some here who do not like to talk about evangelism because it's, it, it feels guilty. They feel guilty about it. There's a sense of failure. There's a sense of hopelessness that it could never be true for them. And I, I pray that, that you would use this passage to bring encouragement, to bring hope, to strengthen them. And I pray that by the work of your Spirit in their hearts right now, they would, they would start more earnestly asking and seeking a fresh outpouring of your Spirit. I pray that, that you would work that into their hearts and into all of our hearts as a church body. I pray that you would do this. And I praise you, Lord, that as we do that, you will strengthen our faith and you will Give us boldness. You will. You will lead us with who to reach out to. You will lead us with what to say. As we follow you, you will make us become fishers of men. You will do that work. So, Lord, I pray that you, by the power of your Spirit, right now through this passage, would stir in our hearts a hunger to seek you for fresh outpourings of your Holy Spirit. We wouldn't settle for living outside of your house, just like that Charles Bridges quote said, but that we would press in to be in your house, in the warmth of your love, enjoying your smiles, and having sweet fellowship with you, Father, and your Holy Son, Jesus. So I pray that you would do that in us as a church, and that then you would let the outflow of boldness come, and that we would see more people brought to faith in Christ as a result. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.